If you do not know me, my name is Corey Jeffcoat. I am the student pastor here at First Baptist, and I've been doing it almost two years, which is awesome. But tonight, or not tonight, I'm used to saying tonight, because usually when I'm preaching is on Wednesday night. But this morning, one thing that we're going to look at is choices. And when you look at choices every single day, you make a number of different choices. From the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep, there is choice after choice after choice after choice that you make. And that is going to continue until you die. You will always wake up making choices from what you're going to eat to breakfast to, hey, am I going to brush my teeth this morning or not? To uh, what am I going to wear? To, hey, I cannot wear that. That's stupid. To whatever's happening, you're always going to make choices. But on those choices... There can be some days where you make stupid choices. And one of the days that I made a stupid choice, there were actually a couple of stupid choices that day, and I will fill you in on those. It was whenever I was in fourth or fifth grade, and a friend stayed the night on a Friday night, actually a Saturday night. During Saturday, we went, he brought his four-wheeler to the house. Um, so he had a four-wheeler, I had a four-wheeler. We are fourth or fifth grade boys, um, what do you think is about to happen? We're going to make a racetrack. And so we made a racetrack in the backyard. This was after Katrina, so there were still trees down, all that good stuff. Um, so we were making a racetrack through the trees. Dumb decision, I know. Um, and the dumber decision of that is we decided not to wear helmets. Again, fourth, fifth grade boys makes those type of decisions. So we start making the racetrack, start going as fast as we can, and start timing each other to see who can make the track the fastest. So we'd been doing this probably 20 times or so. So now it's time, hey, he's going to get on my four-wheeler. I'm going to get on his. He goes first because I want to see what time I had to beat. He gets on his four-wheeler, or he gets on my four-wheeler, does it. I can't remember the time. So then I get on his. I go, start going through the woods. I make one turn. Perfect. Make another turn. There's this big loop we got to turn. So I got to make the big turn. I've been doing it on my four wheeler this entire time. His, I lose control and I center the tree that had been down since Katrina. Um, he was confused. Like, why is it taking Corey this long? Normally he should be back by now. So he starts walking. He comes up to me, got blood pouring out of my mouth because my tooth decided to go through my lip, not where it's supposed to go. Um, and then he's like, what the heck just happened? I was like, there's a tree, and I hit it, and that's what happened. So then, long story short, I don't really remember who won the race. Obviously, he probably did because I wrecked his four-wheeler and had to forfeit. But that, the first dumb decision we made that day was not wearing a helmet because a tooth went through a lip. Um, not fun. Second dumb decision we made that day was, hey, let's just go load the four-wheeler up on the truck and not say anything. So go load the four-wheeler on his dad's truck and then don't say anything. I go to my dad's shop. He has a, a refrigerator or a freezer. I get a popsicle from there and I put it on my lip to stop the bleeding. So then I go and hide in my room for the rest of the day. Didn't tell my dad because I was embarrassed. So go in my room, bleeding, napkins everywhere, blood everywhere, all that's good stuff. Popsicle on my lip, went to sleep that night. Dad still doesn't know, I'm good. Then wake up, go to church the next morning. Every time I talk to dad, I'd be like, hey dad, how are you doing? Got a toothache this morning, I'm good though. Um, so talking to dad, going to church. Bad thing at church is we went to church together and his dad and my dad sat together in Sunday school. So like any good dad, his dad says, hey, how's Corey's lip? 
Dad was like, what are you talking about? He's fine. He's good. What are you talking about? So then we get home in the car after church, and the question comes, son, how's your lip? I was like, what are you talking about, Dad? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. No, no son, move, move your hand. She said, you got a hole through the bottom of your lip. I was like, um, yeah. yeah there was a, a little wreck that happened yesterday. I'm fine, though. I'm good. He said, yeah, you're fine. His four-wheeler's totaled. I was like, well, sorry about that, Dad. Dad should have told you that earlier. So dumb decision number two was not telling my, or actually three or four or ten at this point. I don't know what dumb decision this was. But one of the main points is me not telling my dad. So as I was going through these choices, my choice-making, I guess, options always lean towards the worst possible outcome. But as we look through the choices that we make in our daily life, so many times we make those dumb, dumb choices. So many times we make those dumb decisions. But whenever we look at this, one thing that we know is that choices are always part of life. And this morning we're going to look at a guy by the name of Pilate who had to make a choice. He had to make a choice between the screaming mob outside his door or his wife. I know what you're thinking, men. Easy question. Happy wife, happy life. Like, I know exactly which one I would go with. But as we start looking in this, we will see that's not the decision that Pilate decided to go with. Pilate decided to go with what was easiest in his circumstances at the moment. And by doing that, it impacted all of eternity. Over the series, been looking at people that have met Jesus, and they left not the same. Pilate is an interesting one. Pilate met Jesus, and we don't know. We don't know how he responded afterwards. But the interaction with Pilate and Jesus changes the entire course of history, which is really neat. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a narrative in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be reading a lot of verses at the beginning, and then we're going to break it down. But we're going to be reading from verses 11 to 26. And it starts with this. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer not even a, to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast of the governor, well, the feast the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they, had this, they, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, when he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to him, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, 
saying, I am this, I, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. We read, like this is an extremely familiar passage of scripture. Everybody that has ever been in a church anywhere close to Easter has heard this passage or a passage similar to this. But what we do see is we see Pilate's decision between the screaming mob and his wife. And as we dive into that, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we will go into the first point. Lord, just thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for being a God that allows for us to make choices and allows for us to choose you to love. And Lord, just thank you for allowing us to come here this morning and worship you. And Lord, just please be with me as we go through this passage. And Lord, let it be you speaking and not me. Lord, your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we look in this first, these first couple of verses, the very first thing we see, we see Pilate and the, and the king. We see Pilate's interaction with Jesus. And as Pilate is with Jesus, it's just him and Jesus in the room, most likely. Pilate is interrogating Jesus. And what is so interesting about this entire encounter, as Pilate is saying, hey, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? The only response Jesus makes is, you have said so. So then Pilate goes through the whole laundry list of questions, saying, hey, Pilate, or Jesus, they're saying this about you. They're saying this. They're saying, hey, you've done this. They're saying, you've done this. They're saying, you've done this. You know what Jesus does? Just sits there in silence. Doesn't say a word. And what is interesting about that is if it was any of us, I mean, if it was me in that scenario, I'm not going to throw any of y'all under the bus, but I would assume y'all would be the same way. And we are falsely accused in front of Pilate. As soon as they start saying anything, our very next answer is, hey, no, 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 that's not, that wasn't me. They made that up. That's not me. It'd be like me talking to my dad about my busted lip. Hey, like, I didn't do that. He, he wrecked his four-wheeler. And I was the one that got the busted lip somehow. It wasn't, it wasn't me. No, whenever we get accused of something, especially falsely accused, we want to make our statement, and we want it to be true. And we want the truth to be told. But whenever Jesus is accused, he doesn't. What's really neat about this is as Jesus is sitting there in silence, if Pilate would have known his Old Testament, he would have realized who Jesus was in that moment. Because eight to 900 years before this moment, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And this is what he wrote. In Isaiah 53, 7, he said, He was opposed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus sat there and took every accusation and didn't try to make it right because he knew he had to be in that moment. He knew he had to stand in front of Pilate, but he ultimately knew that he had to face a cross in the near future. So as he's sitting there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Pilate says. It doesn't matter what happens in the upcoming future. Jesus knew what was going to happen. So Jesus sat there in silence. But what is neat about this, as Jesus is sitting in silence, Pilate's taking notice. Pilate's like, this guy's different. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Most people in this scenario are pleading their case as much as they can. 
They're like, that's not me. That's not me. I didn't do that. Hey, I'm king of the Jews. No, 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 Pilate. Pilate, you're, you're the king. You're the only king. So Pilate's like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? But what is neat about that is as he is done interrogating him, he finishes in the last of the in verse 14. But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. One thing we know from Pilate's encounter with Jesus as he noticed that Jesus was not normal. He didn't notice who Jesus was, but he noticed that Jesus was not this average Joe off the street. He noticed that Jesus was different. But what's also really neat about that is as Christians, how often are we different than the world we live in? Whenever you're going through life and things start popping up, as Christians, we're called to imitate Christ in our lives. How many times in your workplace, at school, at home, do people just stop and like they're amazed at the way you respond? Because you're not responding like the world would respond. And that kind of hit me hard this week because I was like, I don't know. Do people know that I'm different because of the person that I've met? Do people know that I've been changed because of the person that I profess? And that was like, hit me hard, and I struggled with that a lot this week because that is how we should be acting. Whenever we get falsely accused, like Pilate, like Pilate was falsely accusing Jesus, we should be different. We should act different. We should be a group of people that as the world starts questioning us, they can see a change in us. But let's go on to the next part. In verse 19, we see Pilate and the dream. And in verse 19, it says this, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. The trial of Jesus was most likely early in the morning. So like whenever they went and arrested Jesus in the garden, it was before the sun had ever came up. So then he was passed around different courts. So it's still most likely before the sun had come up. So as the crowd comes to Pilate, Pilate's most likely asleep. And he's woken to the screams that are happening outside his door. So he's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Um, I don't know what, what is going on. Uh, maybe we're getting invaded by this other country. Like, I don't know what's happening. So then he goes out, starts talking to the people, starts getting their case, starts questioning Jesus. So some time has went on. His wife's probably still laying in bed. But his wife is awoken because of a dream. And as Pilate is sitting on the judgment seat, as he is trying to make the verdict, his wife sends a message and says, Hey, Pilate, this man's innocent. Don't have anything to do with him. So the bravery that his wife had and the turmoil that his wife was going through to interrupt a court in session is unheard of. Like, Pilate could have easily had his wife killed because she interrupted. But Pilate didn't. Pilate heard her case. And her case was what we would say in, like, our context would be, like, God's voice speaking to him. God's voice speaking to Pilate saying, hey, Pilate, this man's not normal. Hey, Pilate, when you questioned him, you noticed that he amazed you with his responses. But Pilate, this person's so much more. So his wife wakes up, goes up to him and says, hey, hey, Pilate, don't have anything to do with this man. 
Don't put him to death. Don't put him in jail. This man is completely innocent. And this man is righteous. So one neat, one neat thing that we can all listen to this, men, listen to your wife sometimes. It's biblical. Uh, if he would have listened to his wife, I don't know, history would have been drastically different. But when you look at this in Pilate's scenario, as he's looking at this, this should have been the first red flag for Pilate. First of all, why is my wife coming and interrupting one of my most important meetings? Why is she so disturbed by a dream that she can't sleep? Like, what is wrong with this man? And why do they want him killed so bad? But Pilate just kind of brushed it off. He's like, I don't really know what this is. But this is the first choice in Pilate's decisions. And this is the first choice in our lives as well. Every time you're living in the world, you always have to choose. You can choose to live for God or you can choose to live for the world. And as you're going through life, as you're going through these things, you have to continually make these decisions. What is really neat about this is you have the crowd and the mob screaming and screaming and screaming outside, like the loud voice. Then you have Pilate's wife sending in saying, hey, don't listen to him. Hey, don't do anything with him. Hey, this man's innocent. So you have the quieter voice leading him in a spiritual direction. And that is so true in our lives as well. Whenever you're trying to choose between the world or trying to choose between following Christ, what voice is usually the loudest? The world. Sin is usually the voice that's screaming so loud in your ear saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. But then you have the Holy Spirit inside you saying, no, follow me, follow me, follow me. And you have these two battles and two choices you have to choose daily. So in this case, we're going to continue reading to see which choice Pilate makes. And then we're going to continue in reading the Pilate and the screams, or the mob around him. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18, and then 20, and 20 through 23. And it says, Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall we, have, what shall we do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. The reason behind the trial being so early in the morning and the reason behind the trial at all was throughout the entirety of Jesus' life, Jesus was always harshest to who? The religious people, the religious leaders. Jesus' harshest words were to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people inside the temple, because they were the ones trying to add to God's perfect law. They were trying to add different laws here and there. So for them to, for the religious people to be made right, they had to get rid of Jesus. Everything that the religious people had lived for, Jesus was completely against. Everything that they were making church be, 
Jesus was saying, hey, that's not it at all. You've missed it completely. Everything you're saying is absolutely wrong. But whenever we look at this, the religious people are the ones that are riling up the crowds. The religious leaders are the ones saying, hey, we can't have this Jesus on the street anymore. The person we would rather have is the murderer. We would rather have Barabbas the murderer than the perfect son of God. We would rather have Barabbas, who is known for doing bad things, and the person that has walked and healed people. Because the person that has healed people has called more damage to our church than we want. But what is really neat about this, whenever Jesus came, whenever the Pharisees were looking through Scripture, they were looking for a Messiah that was trying to make everything right. And when Jesus came, he flipped their entire idea of right completely upside down. And what is really interesting about this, and kind of a side note on this, Jesus did not come to make a religion. Jesus came to make disciples. People that emulated who he was. People that took what he had, what he had taught, and spread that. He did not come to make a certain religion. Because every religious leader that he talked to, he showed that they were incorrect because they were adding things that were never meant to be added. So as we keep looking at the choices that Pilate has to make, Pilate has to make a decision now to try to get out of killing Jesus. First, because his wife told him, hey, don't have anything to do with this man. So he's like, oh, I might want to listen to my wife. She might have something to say. But then he's also like, how? My wife's inside the castle safe. There's hundreds of angry people outside. They're screaming. They want Jesus dead. How do I decide? How do I make this decision? So what Pilate does is as he's going through this entire scenario, he's like, I know a way I can do it. I can give him two options. The obvious case, which would be let him release Jesus, or the terrible option, which is give the worst criminal I got, and see which one they choose. Pretty much a sales tactic. Like when you're trying to persuade people, you have like this really awesome idea, and then you have a not-so-great idea. So they have the idea of choice, but common sense says they go with the better idea. So that's what Pilate's trying to do. He's trying to get them to pick Jesus over Barabbas. So as he's going through this, he's saying, hey, you have an innocent human being. You have the Son of God, ultimately, that he didn't say that, but he knows something's different about him. And then you also have this crazy murderer who is an insurrectionist who does crazy things. Crowd, it's an easy, it's an easy option. Who do you pick? They said Barabbas. I was like, oh no, oh no, what do I do? How do I get out of it now? I tried my best option, I don't know what else to do. So then he's like, okay, so what do we do? How, how do we do this? How do I get away from condemning Jesus? And he then goes into the ceremonial washing of his hands and says, okay, I'll release Jesus. I'll let Jesus go be crucified. I'll release Barabbas. But this whole scenario is not on me. This scenario is on you. And they scream back, let it be on me, on us and our children. They were so adamant about having Jesus dead that they were willing to take the punishment on them but also on their children. But again, whenever we look at this scenario, we see Pilate as he is trying to choose between these two. 
He has the quiet, still voice inside his castle saying, hey, this man's innocent. Hey, this man is perfect. Hey, there's nothing you can do against him. Then you have the screaming mob outside saying, kill him. He's imperfect. Kill him. We don't want him. Get rid of him. So whenever you're going through your life, which voice do you listen to? Do you listen to the quiet voice? Or do you listen to the easy screaming voice that is right outside? And then we also see the predicament that he's in, and he's got to make that decision, which is even crazier. As we get into the last part, this is Pilate and the choosing. Pilate's decision boiled down between the safety of his job, his family, the relations of the Jewish community, and the other side of it was his wife. But he knew to keep his family safe, he would have to go with the mob. Because the mob is the one that is screaming. The mob is the one that has surrounded his house. The mob is the one that can cause so much more destruction. So Pilate's predicament is difficult. He's like, I can go with what my wife said, or I can protect my family and my job and go with the mob. Because if I go with the wife, what my wife says and I release Jesus, that mob is only going to get angrier. And this is also the predicament that we're in. So many times whenever we have to choose between what Christ wants us to do in the world, choosing what Christ is calling us to do usually costs us something. It's usually the harder of the options. It's usually the option where you're like, if I follow what Christ is calling me to do, then I might lose this. If I'm following what Christ is calling me to do, I might not get that promotion at work. If I'm, calling, if I'm following what Christ is calling me to do, then I might not be in this profession anymore. I might not be able to do this for my family. Following what Christ has called us to do is the hardest option. But in the long run is the best option. The following what the world has is always easier because the world is what we find comfort in most of the time because it's the normal. But what is also very interesting about this scenario is the guy that the crowd had to choose between. We see Jesus on the stand, and we see a guy named Barabbas. The guy named Barabbas, we don't know much about him. We know, I think there may be four or five verses total in the entire Bible about Barabbas. Like, not many at all. And so, like, what is the importance of Barabbas? What is the importance of this even being brought up? This is probably the most vital character in this entire story. I mean, besides Jesus, is Barabbas. Because as we look at Barabbas, as the crowd is saying, we want to kill Jesus, set Barabbas free, what did that, who did that interaction have the most impact on? That interaction between Pilate and the crowd had by far the most impact on Barabbas. Because Barabbas then, who was guilty as guilty could be, was then able to be let free. Barabbas is the one who was impacted the most between the interaction of Jesus and Pilate. What also is really interesting about this whole interaction, too, is a lot of scholars believe that, don't you know, like at crucifixion, how there were three crosses? There were two criminals on either side of Jesus and the cross Jesus was on. 
a lot of scholars believe that the cross that Jesus was on, the third cross, was a cross that was meant for Barabbas. So this trial now has even more impact. Whenever Barabbas was brought on trial, one of them was going to die that day. It was either going to be Jesus or it was going to be Barabbas. So the cross that was meant for Barabbas, Jesus then took. But instead of stealing any quote from a pastor named Judah Smith, I'm going to let y'all watch this quick little video on the screen. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles and he walks down the platform welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. I love him, but God, 
bad. Man, I love him. And I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the free gift? Yeah, but I love Barabbas. As you can tell, in this character, the Barabbas character, the reason why he's so important is Barabbas is us. As we are on the stand, as Pilate is coming with the verdict, he's like, hey, you got this perfect individual Jesus. Then you have these terrible people, these people that are guilty, people that have done bad, people that are sinners. And then you have the innocent one. And then you have Jesus saying, hey, I'll take it. Hey, they can be set free. All the bad people in the world can be set free. And then at the end, whenever Judas Smith was saying like, but they may not even come and thank you. He's like, I know, but some will. I know, some will accept it. I know, but I'm dying for them. So when we look at that, the cross that was meant for Barabbas, Jesus himself took. The death that was meant for Barabbas, Jesus himself took. The punishment that was meant for Barabbas, Jesus himself took. But on the other flip note of that, the cross that was meant for us, Jesus himself took. The punishment that was meant for us, Jesus himself took. As we look into this whole story, this whole narrative, the circumstances that the cross encompassed was truly Christ saving us and not anybody else. So when we look at the story of whenever Pilate met Jesus, Pilate met Jesus, but the person that impacted the most was Barabbas, but the person impacted us most in here is us that have been saved. So the invitation is this this morning. First of all, from the first part of this sermon, is what are you choosing in life? Are you choosing to follow the world? Are you choosing the screams and the screaming that is happening around? Or are you choosing that still small voice inside? So what are you choosing? Because that is a choice that happens every single day. But the other part of the invitation is this. Have you come to the grips that you're Barabbas in the story? Have you came back to Jesus and said, hey, I know that you've done this for me. Hey, I know that you gave your life for me. And I thank you for that. And I want that peace in my life. That is the flip side of this invitation. There's an invitation for the Christians to choose Christ in everything that we have. But the other invitation is for those that have never seen him, that have never experienced Christ, because Christ is somebody worth following. Jesus took our place just like he took Barabbas's. Jesus took our place on the cross. Jesus took our place where we had no right to stand. Jesus said, hey, that's me. Hey, all those things that you've done, your past, I don't care how bad it is. 
your whatever you're dealing with now, I don't care. Jesus said, that's on me. I'll take it and I'll die with it. That's on me so that you may be set free so that we can wind up like Barabbas and walk free in society again. And I love how he said, and this is what we'll end on, Jesus had to become like Barabbas so that Barabbas could become like Jesus. And that is so important for us to hold on to. So I'm going to pray. And then during this invitation, if you need to come forward, the altar's always open. The altar's open. The altar is open for you to get right with God personally. The altar's open for you to pray. The altar's open for you to pray with a family. The altar's open for you to pray for somebody that is lost. Everybody in this room knows a Barabbas that has never came back. So how are you praying for them? How are you choosing to lead them to Christ daily? The other option is if you've never experienced Christ, if you've never been saved, if you've never realized what freedom you have in Christ, get out of your pew, walk right in the back foyer. We'll be out, we'll be out there. We'll be so happy to go through the Word of God and explain what it means to be free like Barabbas. So the choice is yours. What are you going to choose?